are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. 502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everybody had an outstanding weekend. Hope everybody stayed safe. And welcome into the Monday edition of On the Line. Lance, how was your weekend, my man? It was going really, really well until the Hawks just absolutely collapsed in the fourth quarter of last night's game. But you're not even a Hawks fan. I'm not even a Hawks fan, but I'm bandwagoning, Noah. Actually, we were talking about you're this last week. You're bandwagoning the like, Suns. It seems like everybody's bandwagoning everybody right now. I was like, yeah, actually, I've been bandwagoning, bandwagoning the Suns, but right now I'm kind, of being, I'm kind of a Hawks fan, just a little bit. I don't want to sit here and talk about the NBA too long. That's not how I want to start off the show. But in reality, I think all four of these teams are relatively easy to pull for. It's funny, the team that is probably the least likable of this entire group is a team that has struggled when it reached this stage as well, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. I believe mm-hmm. that's probably the least likable team of this group. That's probably the team that most people are rooting against if they were going to root against somebody. And they have not had success on this stage ever. Technically, they've never been on this stage. That's true. So <laughs> we don't know how they're going to perform. But it's funny. Like That's the team that most people, I would say, is the least likable of the group but it, everyone finds themselves stand. rooting for and the hawks the suns and the bucks who have had no success on this stage before other than maybe the suns the clips have the most superstars that's why they're the most unlikable whereas the bucks have Giannis, the hawks have trey young and then the suns have cb3 slash booker but cb3's passes prime the and most it's personalities not the nba's most branded personalities either Mm. like Kawhi Leonard's pretty boring and Paul George right up there with him it's not like it's LeBron or Giannis or KD they're they're not the most iconic NBA players Kawhi to a degree but Paul George is definitely like a second tier brand in the NBA yeah if I were to rank who I like the most and obviously that plays a heavy hand in my flow chart but I, I would go Suns Hawks Bucks Clippers that's where I'm at Jacob, you asked me over the weekend with the NC State stuff to bring you on for this segment, to give you the floor. You were upset with some college baseball stuff. Now, I hope you've had enough time to articulate and to calm down because you were upset with what happened in the NCAA baseball tournament this past weekend. Well, it's the way that it happened and just everything that's happening around the College World Series. You know, it's it's not one of those things where this is an unknown we know last year when everything was canceled because of COVID-19 we didn't know anything that that's part of it but this happening at one o'clock in the morning local time in Omaha that was just I mean that's just a gut punch I mean they're they're probably asleep if not they're just laying in bed watching the game that was currently going on and they're getting ready to face elimination against Vanderbilt the next day and then they're randomly told yeah, sorry, you can't play tomorrow. and Or today, later today, you cannot play. And it's one of those things where, you know, 
it's understandable because there are COVID positives within the program. That part, I completely see. But four of these guys were vaccinated. Two of them were not. You could have said, hey, two of them don't get to play. Four of them do. So what is the point of pushing the vaccine when, you know, it doesn't matter? That's the whole point. And I really just think it's one of those situations that no one's happy with. Because you got to feel for Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Texas if they had advanced to the championship. Because people are going to put an asterisk next to this. Because NC State was one of the hottest teams in the country. They almost beat Vanderbilt with 13 available players. That is impressive in its own. They had chances to win that game. They just weren't able to push the runs across. Who knows what would have happened the next day in that elimination game? Who would have known what would have happened if they won? And they had punched their tickets. To the right. World Series final, it would it, and I think that would have been even more chaotic. I don't know if it's better to have these question marks, which I guess it would have been the bigger question mark. Is man, they only had to win two more games. Lance, what are your thoughts on what happened over the weekend when NC State was told that they were eliminated due to the COVID positive test inside their baseball program? I don't feel, and obviously, there's so many things that you could say to push back on this, but I don't feel. I don't, if I were an NC State player, I would feel cheated. I, I just don't feel like it's fair at the same time. It's like, well, they walked into that situation. They accepted NCAA guidelines and things like that, and they accepted the fact that they would get tested and that if things were to, were to go wrong or players were to test positive, that things would have to obviously happen. And we saw the NCAA shut down the Wolfpack season um, after they had a few players test positive. It's really, really disappointing to me the way that the NCAA went about it. I feel like they could have done done an, a lot better job letting guys know, hey, your season's over, instead of at 1 in the morning in the middle of the night. It was like, oh, by the way, you're done. Go home. We're not even giving you a chance to say you forfeit. You forfeit. That's the way it is. They could have done a better job with it. I'm with Jacob. If you're going to get the vaccine and still test positive and then have your season canceled, I don't understand why it's being pushed. That being said... It's really disappointing, but I, 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 if you walk into that situation and you accept guidelines and you accept the parameters that the NCAA put in place, then you can be up. You're go- obviously going to be upset if your season's canceled, but that's the way it is. And they kind of went out quietly, right? They, they, they accepted it. Not right. I, I think that they handled it classily, right? Yeah, and you have to. You can't. You can't. You can make your statement. You can make a statement, fell. You know. If they disagree with it, you can do it respectfully and not tick off the organization, the NCAA. But it's one of those things where I kind of wish they were a little fiery about it. I wish they had acted angry and, you know, I won't say not be classy, but almost cross that line because it's just one of those things where. You read the same article that I did, the Kendall Rogers. Right, I'm looking at it right now, too. The way I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong here because you know a little bit more about this than I do, but correct me if I'm wrong here. The way I understand it is unvaccinated players were being tested. Vaccinated players were not. There was regular testing for unvaccinated players, whereas I think the vaccinated players were only tested if they were close contacts of someone that tested positive, and which that's kind of how it all started, was one player and then I think maybe two people that were part of the traveling party tested positive earlier in the week maybe was it sunday it was monday i believe it was early in the week because coach avent from nc state said that somebody had a bug in right. a post-game press conference and 
at the time he did not know that that was covid related and 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 in a lot of cases i feel like this in this time period where it feels kind of almost post-pandemic like because we are so many moving forward right we're so many months and now we are a year you know it's been over a year now and and it seems like we are moving closer and closer to things being normal especially here in alabama things really don't seem abnormal to to me at all anymore but outside of alabama and outside of the southeast things are getting closer and closer to being normal everywhere else that it it kind of like when someone gets sick they're not automatically the brain doesn't automatically jump to covid whereas a year ago that was exactly where everybody's mind went and it could have just been a sinus infection so you don't blame him there and you really don't blame nc state for I, i don't blame nc state for for anything in this situation it's unfortunate and it it you could draw a lot of parallels from this to college football later on because there were differences in protocol for unvaccinated and vaccinated players. And what does that mean for the college football season? I think that is something interesting to bring up as how college football programs will approach this and how the NCAA is approaching this if someone does test positive because we have seen on multiple occasions someone that has been vaccinated ends up testing positive and then they still end up getting ruled out. Which is frustrating in itself when you look at the fact that these venues are now getting packed out. And it's like, all right, what is your stance actually on COVID-19? Because that seems a little bit contradictory at times. And it's really a, it's really frustrating. And I think one of the things that you're uh, referencing, Noah, is the picture of, of Trevor Lawrence and him during, I believe it was the Notre Dame game, when he was ruled out because he had tested positive for COVID. Well, there's 20,000 people packed into some of these venues right. at College World Series games. But right? Lawrence was still on the sideline, yeah. taking off his mask and talking to people. And then NC State has players, like months after the Lawrence situation in a different sport, months after it, now we have a vaccine. And then all of a sudden, hey, some of your guys test positive, even if they are vaccinated and their season's done. It's just it. There's not a lot of consistency. And it's really, really, really upsetting if I'm an NC State fan or player to see situations like that with Trevor Lawrence months ago and then have this happen to me. It's unfortunate. It's upsetting. It's it's just really disappointing. Jacob, any other thoughts before we wrap this up? I mean, it's just it's kind of what I tweeted. It was about how the NCAA shouldn't be shocked about how they handled it when they're making softball teams play at 2 a.m. a month ago in Oklahoma City, referring to Oklahoma State and Florida State when they played super late. I mean, it's just one of those things. They try. It's almost like they try to cover things up when there's just no – what are you doing? It makes you look worse. And they, that's all I'll say about the NCAA because otherwise you get through onto another tangent. But I don't know. It sucks. That's what I'll say. And it's hard to kind of map out where you go from here and what this means in collegiate athletics because at the end of the day, it comes down to a fundamental belief about how you feel about the severity of the virus and then how that affects your policy on it moving forward. And there should be a consistency. Right, and it seems like there is an inconsistency, right? Because you look in the stands and that is not consistent with what happened with the NC State baseball program. So There's a little bit of an offset there. Here's my question. If I'm not vaccinated or if I'm vaccinated, why don't they have me test before I enter a game to watch it? Why do the players have to get tested? If there's 20 other thousand people in the stands, why does not why doesn't everybody get tested in that case? I mean, I think it's a pretty easy answer because they wouldn't make as much money. Exactly. Some people wouldn't show up. 
why it's not? also not practical. Exactly. So yeah. why 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 do we have to test it all then? If if there are twenty other thousand people, if it's not practical, practical, why do we waste NC State season? And it, it, like I said, it's it's all it, there's not a whole lot of consistency right now, yep. and there is a lot of people searching for answers, and I feel like there's folks trying to play to both sides of the equation. And when you try and please everybody, you end up pleasing no one, right? And you end up with unfortunate situations. And I'm curious to see how this translates to the college football season. I think that's an important thing that's been brought up by what we read in the Kendall Rogers story on D1Baseball.com, which is a great article about the timeline of these events for NC State baseball. And what does this mean for, you know, he, he, he doesn't really translate it to, to anything beyond what happened there. It just gives you the facts from what he learned on the timeline of NC State's events at the College World Series. But then other folks now are drawing conclusions like, all right, so what does this mean for college football? What does this mean for programs and how they approach this? It's going to be very interesting to see what this college football season looks like a year later from last year's college football season, which was definitely drastically affected. You know, what happens when players do test positive? Because it's going to happen. It is going to happen. So, and I, I know it's it's not it's not fun to project, but I assume that this year we will have a couple of different issues. We will see players test positive. We will see people sit out. We'll see minor issues. I don't think we'll see anything major like some somebody being forced to to step out of a bowl or to step out of a playoff game or to step out of anything. But next, not this season, but next season, we should be perfectly fine. I would assume, which ma- which makes hope. me happy. That's the hope. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back. We're going to talk a little Auburn football. Demetrius Robertson appears to be on Auburn's radar as a wide receiver transfer from the transfer portal. This could be a big deal for the Tigers. They can get the former five-star. We'll talk about that when we come back. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us today. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Hey, this is something new. we got a text line. You can text your thoughts to the show, and uh, we might we might take a read or two here from our text line, so be sure to text us at 334 Four. That is how you can text on the line. So, once again, the number to text, 334-564-4184. Tease this a little bit coming into this segment. Auburn football supposedly has Demetrius Robertson, the former five-star wide receiver that used to play at Cal, transferred to Georgia, has largely been an afterthought. I think he only had like 12 catches last year for Georgia. Once again, a former five-star receiver, bit of a journeyman, was going into his super senior season, six years in college football, would be this year, and he's in the transfer portal looking to come to uh, another university, but it, it could be only about three hours away down the road that he could choose to come to Auburn. It seems like Auburn's got him on the radar. I've been saying it since he entered the transfer portal. This is a guy that Auburn at least needs to take a look at. Statistically, not the most impressive guy during his time at Georgia. But like you mentioned, he was a former five-star. And you wonder, well, what did he do before he got to Georgia? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though you didn't. He was a freshman All-American at Cal. 
in 2016. 50 receptions, 767 yards, 15.3 yards per catch, and 7 touchdowns. This is a guy that Auburn could go out and get and could be receiver number one the moment he walks onto campus. because Not because Auburn doesn't have talent, but because Auburn needs depth. That's all they need. They need depth. Canyon, uh, Hudson, and Capers are very, very young, and it would be really nice to have a number one guy. I think Robertson could be that guy. He was in a, in a very crowded Georgia receiver room, in my opinion, during his time with the Bulldogs. I think this would be really nice for him to step into another Power 5 school and get an opportunity to start and to be the lean-on guy. I know Canyon was that guy for Knicks in the the, uh, spring game, but I think Robertson could be another guy Knicks could rely on. He could be something special. And I I, I know know since his time at Cal, I've known that he was going to be something special. It's just a matter of time. And now that he is out and he is in the market, it's somebody that Auburn should really, really pursue in my mind. We've been talking all offseason about Auburn going after different guys at different positions and how they need to get a wide receiver. They lost out on the Troy guy. They've lost out on a couple of other the a couple of these other big time guys. Justin Ross obviously not leaving Clemson. They need to be able to land a guy like Demetrius Robertson. If they want somebody this offseason that's a wide receiver, this would be the guy to get in my mind. And I think he was dealing with some issues while he was in Georgia. I've been doing a little bit of research here, and I saw an article written back in February that warrants were issued for his arrest back on uh, felony charges of interference with government property and the misdemeanor charge of theft by taking, according to the University of Georgia Police Department log. And this was from an article that Dog Nation wrote back in February and so he was dealing with some issues there I know he's been injured a few times while he's been at Georgia it's just been hard for him to get out onto the field but now you see him enter the transfer portal looking at a new home you know it's an interesting situation but it's definitely something that Auburn could use in their wide receiver room because they don't have a lot of experience sounds like he was not focused in having fun (laughs) during his time at Georgia and I think he would that would be really good for him to come play for Harson and get get some things right get his fundamentals down and and be the guy I would I genuinely think if he came to Auburn he could be the guy uh heading into his his final season as a college player do you think if he goes to a place like Auburn he could potentially get drafted I don't know. That's interesting because he has stayed in college for quite some time. Once again, this would be his sixth year of college football. And of course, like receivers, there there are so many receivers that go to the league and every team will, you know, it's kind of a, a supply and demand issue here, right? Like I think for the fact that he'll, that he'll have been in college for six years, I mean, he would have to have an extremely explosive season. I think that could get him drafted. I don't know how high, but also, like I said, there's so many receivers that go like, and you see so many players like Eli Stove get an undrafted free agent deal. Like, I don't think it totally matters if he gets drafted. He still could get a shot at the league if he's good. Like, you could be a good receiver like Eli Stove was and still not get drafted. It's very hard to gauge for someone that has been in college for so long because oftentimes NFL teams, I mean, that's three years after his draftable age. Okay, Think let, about that. Let me ask you this question. Are you right there with me as far as saying if he came to Auburn, he would be the leading receiver? See, I'm not certain about that either because I don't know like if it was just injuries and I, I don't know if it was just injuries that were keeping him off the field at Georgia. Maybe he was great at Cal, but that may have been out of necessity that he was great at Cal. I mean, how many All-American caliber receivers do they have at Cal, right? And also in the Pac-12. So I wonder if 
Auburn's talent, albeit it is much younger and much more inexperienced, what if it's just as talented as Robertson? So I'm not so certain that he ends up being the number one receiver, but I do think he plays and he gives this receiver room at least the veteran presence that you're looking for, right? And that's exactly what all all Auburn could ask for at this point. If they're not going to get a guy like Robertson, they need to go out and get a guy that's been in college football for at least two or three seasons. And I don't know who that guy is. It's pretty late in the game at this point. And Auburn has gotten their guys in the transfer portal. They've not gotten a whole lot of linemen and receivers as people were, were, were angling towards... Uh, there were some people out there that also said that they should probably get a running back in the transfer portal they ended up doing that I believe it was the central Michigan running back but they've not gotten a receiver and that was or an offensive lineman or an offensive lineman and that was in our minds I believe we ranked the the importance of what Auburn should get this offseason and wide receiver was not if it wasn't one it was definitely top three and they haven't top two they haven't gotten that they just straight up haven't gotten it so they but must, I think that's more about availability there's not a whole lot out there at this state at this exactly. stage of the game so that's what I was about to ask do you think it's more about availability or do you think it's more about the confidence in Auburn's current roster do you feel like this coaching staff is comfortable with the receivers that they have right now oh I definitely think it's more about availability because this coaching staff talked about saving space into the summer and, and team building still being something that they're worried about or not worried about but that they're focused on throughout the summer mm-hmm. and I just don't think that there's been necessarily whether it's a a scheme fit whether it's b a culture fit whether it's c talent what for whatever reason I don't think that there's been a player out there yet that this coaching staff has been like yeah we really want this guy at least at wide receiver now we've seen other players transfer in like the central michigan running back and a few others namely on the defensive side of the ball but we really haven't seen a whole lot of that action on the offense and a lot of the players that switch programs on offense that i really feel like were you know sec quality or auburn quality players that could come and help this program immediately those guys transferred way early on like mm-hmm. back in january and february after bowl season after the season wrapped up and we immediately got into the offseason those transfers were right out the gates do we know if robert who robertson is currently looking at do we know the schools that he's looking at or just we know. we we think that all that he he is definitely on auburn's i radar. think he's on auburn's radar now how hot is that we'll we'll see but you and i drew that link as soon as he entered the transfer board i was like all right is this somebody that maybe auburn will go go after i definitely think there's some interest there but it may not be something that materializes once again i i think this coaching staff is, is trying to check the box on a whole lot more things than maybe the previous coaching staff tried to check boxes on. I think this coaching staff is trying to check scheme fit, I think culture fit, and, and then talent. I think there's even more things that this coaching staff is focusing on than maybe the previous coaching staff did when they were evaluating recruits and players for, that, that were transferring in from other locations, whereas a lot of times in the past it may have been a lot of it was based off of talent, whereas this coaching staff right out the gates, it seems like they're extremely focused on culture. Right, that's the that's the vibe you get. Is this coaching staff is extremely focused on changing the culture in Auburn's football program, and I think that's kind of a big part of the types of players that they're going after at this point. Recruiting rankings are a little skewed. Folks are angry right now, or at least a little disgruntled with the way Auburn's recruiting looks right now. You you look at it; they're outside the top sixty according to twenty four seven Sports recruiting rankings at the moment. They have three commitments. You see they're all three stars other than Holden Jariner, who has who has a four-star in some services, and others he's just a three-star. I know on Rivals, he's still just a three-star. 
you look at it the recruiting and then some of the transfers that Auburn's brought in folks are like why did they bring a guy in from southeast Missouri State people are a little disgruntled with that at the moment and I think a big part of this is a recruiting rankings are skewed at the moment people have not been able to watch these recruits because of the coronavirus pandemic Mm -hmm. recruiting sites that some of these kids don't even have profiles especially from less high profile locations like a guy from hoover of course he's getting eyeballs on him right but a guy that is that is from a smaller location in a less viewed area it doesn't mean that they're not a good football player it just means that they haven't been able to to be seen coaches haven't been able to get out and recruit these guys in person because of the recruiting restrictions that have been placed on college football coaches across the country so recruiting rankings right now are a little skewed on individual players and that's affecting things a little bit like some of these guys that Auburn is offering they may be a lot better than just your average your average Joe at a three-star right they may actually be a four-star caliber a little bit better and you just have to trust and you don't have a whole lot to go off of right now and so I understand why people are a little concerned but you just kind of have to trust a little bit that this coaching staff knows what they're doing in terms of talent evaluation and from what we've heard it seems like Auburn has more folks out there scouting players that Auburn has maybe invested a little bit more into talent evaluation and scouting the high school scene than the previous coaching staff did it seems like there's more personnel inside the Auburn program that are focused on doing that than what Malzahn's program was something that is starting to concern me and I know it's only middle of the summer right and we've been talking about recruiting and how this coaching staff is going about it and their philosophy and obviously they're not going in state immediately but they're they've not gotten any guys to put pencil to paper yet they've not gotten anybody to commit and it's starting to to concern me because they only have three commitments in this next year's class and other teams have more but not a lot more not a lot more but you go to look at some of these these teams that are sitting within the top 10 and even though these rankings are skewed LSU has 11 Florida State has 14 Ohio State has 14 Georgia has 11 Texas A&M has 10 I'm not asking for Alabama have Alabama has eight they have eight. They're ranked 15th right now, even though they already have two five-stars. Rutgers is 10th, by And Alabama's the way. only picked up a couple of guys recently, right. right, at the start of all this. I wouldn't I wouldn't let that concern you too much. Now, if this drags on into football season and Albert's only got a handful of players, the other thing to evaluate here is the transfer portal. And I was listening to The Drive actually talk about this, and you can listen to The Drive every weekday from 4 to 6 on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. I was listening to the drive talk about this that the transfer portal does affect that a little bit because college football programs may be quicker to take a transfer right. that maybe has three years of eligibility left than a freshman. My point being, I don't want them to sign a multiple multiple guys. I just want to see that first guy come through. Yeah, that'll probably calm me down a bit. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll start ranking the top five, or excuse me, we're going to go through the entire conference. We're going to rank the entire conference's offenses coming up. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call into the show at 334-321-1390 or hit up our text line at 334-564-4184. We want to hear from you whatever is on your mind in the sports world. We'll take a look at it. We want to hear from you. Once again, the call number, 334-321-1390, or the text line at 334-564-4184. Tease this coming into this segment. We are going to rank all 14 SEC offenses. Well, Lance did. His idea, I love this segment idea. Let's get after it. I'm going to critique it as we go. 
I'm intrigued here. A brief discussion at 14 and 13 because you and I were just talking about this during our break about the differences here. Now, most people don't care about 14 and 13 of the SEC, but I do think this has a little bit to do with the SEC East hierarchy, a point that we haven't really considered with these two teams. All right, boys, if you don't care about Vanderbilt football, you ain't even an SEC fan, all right? So at number 14 here, we've obviously got Vanderbilt averaged 14.8. That was bad. 14.8 points per game last season. That was 14th nationally, or 14th in the SEC, 125th nationally. I don't see them improving much. You and I were talking briefly during the break, and I'll let you make the point, talking about this head coach coming in and whether or not he's going to be able to be better. Before I make that point, though, who's 13 on your list? 13th is South Carolina. So uh, you look at what Vanderbilt's returning. They're returning a sophomore quarterback who should make somewhat of a jump. They've got one of the one of the better receivers in the, in the SEC in Cam Johnson. Um, they're bringing back quite a bit in terms of receiver production. But I don't expect this team to be anything other than mediocre. I have a really hard time seeing this team average over 20 points a game. 14th. 14th, especially considering the division they play in on their schedule. What's worrisome about the Vanderbilt offense, and, I, and you and I both know this, and folks out there that have been listening for weeks now and talking about players that can improve, and I even think we did a segment once about most improved quarterbacks this year in the SEC, and I think that Ken Seals can really do something this second season at Vanderbilt to take a step forward. If he can cut his interceptions in half, if he can take five of his interceptions and translate that into five touchdowns, he becomes a 17 TD, five interception quarterback. And his numbers last year looked vastly different. He was a freshman quarterback, and I know from talking with Robbie Weinstein of Andy 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 Sports, we've had him on our show a couple of times. He likes this Ken Seals character. It seems like the Vanderbilt program has some faith in Ken Seals as a quarterback. I think he gets better, but what is worrisome about this Vanderbilt offense is they really didn't push the ball downfield a whole lot. You talk about Cam Johnson, their leading receiver, 9.7 yards per reception, only three touchdowns, and he had 56 catches. The guy didn't even average a first down per reception. And that's got to include Yak, right? Yards right. after catch, so, unless he was just getting tackled immediately. So here's my question. If you are not able to score more than 14.8 points per game on average in last year's SEC, you're not going oh, to score 14.8 points per game in this year's SEC, even with some guys returning. I, I, I think they'll score somewhere around there. They may, they may overachieve slightly. They may be under. They may be under. Goodness gracious, if they're under what a terrible season for Vanderbilt but I don't see much looking up for this program especially considering last year they nobody could stop anything and they Vanderbilt just still couldn't score and it's good for them that they do bring back Cam Johnson at wide receiver and then Ben Bresnahan at tight end who was another talented tight end that we almost put on our top five tight ends list I think we had him at like sixth or seventh on our list I mean I think he's a solid tight end they've got receiving talent and I think they have talent at QB but it's still Vanderbilt and they're towards the bottom of the barrel but you and I were discussing this during the break you've got South Carolina at 13 the difference here between two offenses that are lacking a lot of talent and granted I think South Carolina probably at its base has more talent a big part of that has to do with Kevin Harris I think they have more talent at their base on the offensive side of the ball a big difference here is think about the coaches that have come into these respective universities Vanderbilt hires Notre Dame defensive coordinator Clark Lee to be their new head coach. South Carolina hires Oklahoma offensive coordinator Shane Beamer. Which side of the ball do you think those coaches benefit the most at their respective universities? 
Clark Lee's going to bring a tough guy mentality. He's going to help out that defense, probably improve the culture of toughness at Vanderbilt. At South Carolina, though, a change in scheme to something that's going to be a little bit more wide open, that's probably going to benefit South Carolina's numbers a bit. And you'll probably will see an uptick in the South Carolina offense. Not enough to move them past 13th because I still think that they've got a bare cupboard in terms of talent. But I think that's kind of the difference here. We've talked about the bottom of the SEC East and who it could be. And right now, I give a slight edge to South Carolina because of what's going to happen on the offensive side of the ball, I believe. But I still think Vanderbilt could. There is potential for them to get to a bowl game if they, once again, can go 4-0 in that non-conference schedule. We talked at length about them not that long ago. But the South Carolina offense, and, and I don't really want to go too deep in it. We should probably move on out of the bottom of the barrel here, but... I think that's the slight difference when you're looking at the bottom of the SEC East, that South Carolina has the offensive coach coming in. Vanderbilt has the defensive coach coming in. There's probably a little bit more improvement for South Carolina. Vanderbilt does not have what South Carolina has, and call it what you want, but South Carolina has a star in Kevin Harris, and that's going to score them some points. That's going to let them move the ball just a little bit. I know they've got a lot of issues outside of that, so that's where I why I put them at 13th, but Kevin Harris is going to play well. At number 12, I have Mississippi State. And we kind of saw it last season as uh, immediately after game one against LSU. We saw this team fall apart. And I want you to look at their numbers with me real quick. 21.4 points per game. 43 yards rushing. Obviously, you're not going to run the ball in a Mike Leach offense, but you shouldn't be running for, for rushing for 43 yards per game. It should be a little bit more than that. 340 yards per game total. 13th, 14th, 12th in the SEC. Points per game, rushing yards, total yards per game. That was 13th, 14th, and 12th. They were 5th in passing yards per game, but obviously that offense was not moving the ball because they only scored 21. They're bringing back 8 guys that started on last year's team. And when you look at the schedule and you look at all these teams that are going to get better than Mississippi State, I really don't see them doing a whole lot because people found out oh, why don't we just change our defense just a little bit? You saw what Arkansas did to Mississippi State after they were ranked in the top 25 after beating LSU, and it was it was immediately they got shut down. At Kentucky, they only scored two points. They didn't score on offense. Texas A&M, they only scored 14. At Alabama, they got shut out. The only, the only win after that LSU win in the regular season was against Vanderbilt where they only scored 24. Beat Missouri as well. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. They beat Missouri, and they scored 51 points, but we've talked about Missouri's defense before. Their pass defense is absolutely terrible, so that was just a bad matchup for Mizzou. This team is not going to score points this season. I don't see the air raid working out in the SEC. It hardly worked out in the Pac-12 consistently. I think Mike Leach is pretty close to being out the door. Mississippi State has missed on on their last two coaching hires in terms of culture fit. I think that this is just a really bad situation for the Bulldogs. They need to go out and get somebody else. You know who would be really good for them to get a year or so from now is Jamie Chadwell. That's intriguing. I would love to see him at a school like Mississippi State. I haven't thought about that too much. He would be a really good fit. Really good fit. Is Mississippi State the place that you lead Coastal Carolina for, especially if the program can continue to year in and year out win at the highest level, especially when we know – that you're trending towards a 12-team college football playoff, and all Coastal Carolina has to do is be one of the sixth highest-ranked conference champions. Two things. Number one, I think it would depend on how much they want to pay him. 
And number two, I think it would depend on what situation he's stepping into. If he felt comfortable with some of the players and some of the guys and where Mississippi State's at recruiting-wise, I could see him making the move. I, I, I like that point, though. Is like, would he really leave Coastal Carolina? But I could see him doing it depending on how much they want to pay the man. And he's going to make a jump at some point. Does evaluated this Mississippi State offense in greater detail now? And where do you have Arkansas at? Are they up next? Are they at eleven? I have Kentucky at eleven, and then I have Arkansas at ten. And I had a really hard time debating back and forth between these two teams. But at the end of the day, I think Arkansas's offense is just slightly more dynamic, even though they're in the bottom half of the SEC. I think that you can call it just a little bit more dynamic than Kentucky. And then also, even though Arkansas's got quarterback issues, Kentucky's still trying to figure out how to have an offense they've been able to run the ball a little bit they don't they aren't able to throw it whatsoever I think that's going to hold them back a little bit especially if Bo Allen or Will Levis is not the guy I have I have concerns with this Kentucky offense I could see them being as high as like seventh if they figure out that quarterback spot but I got them at 11th right now so going back to Arkansas here real quick Arkansas versus Mississippi State we've talked about and I've said this, I don't believe that seven SEC West teams will go to a bowl game this year, or at least I'll amend that because we have seen five win teams go to bowl games recently just because there weren't enough bowl eligible teams. But will we see seven SEC West teams win six games? I don't think so. At least, you know, six regular season games. I don't think we'll see that. So I brought it down to Mississippi State or Arkansas. Those are the two worst teams in the SEC West. Does evaluating the Mississippi State offense in greater detail versus the Arkansas offense is the Mississippi State defense enough to say that they're still going to be that sixth best team in the West or do you think Arkansas is going to a ball game this year no I think Mississippi State's defense will prove prove them well whenever it comes to winning that sixth game I'm there with you I think Mississippi State can make a bowl game compared to Arkansas and you look at what Mississippi State's defense was able to do last year they weren't terrible they weren't absolutely terrible in a year where everybody was terrible they weren't terrible 58th nationally at scoring defense which is which is not anything and it probably would have been better if their offense wasn't so bad right and then they have a really solid defensive coordinator in Zach Arnett. I think he's going to be something special moving forward. Heck, if Mike Leach does get out the door, he could be somebody else that they could promote to to head coach. I would be I would be very comfortable in that situation. But they bring back eight starters on that on that defense, and Mississippi State surprisingly has been able to churn out NFL talent year in and year out for the past I would say half decade. I trust this defense. I do not trust this offense matching up against a team like Arkansas, who still has a lot of questions and will have issues winning games this season. I can see Mississippi State going on the road and stealing one. Well, moving forward then, let's get inside the top 10. You had Kentucky at 11, Arkansas at 10. Let's go to 9. At number 9, I have Tennessee. And Tennessee's a little bit of an unknown, obviously, because they had their entire program transfer out. But they're bringing in a couple of really interesting guys that I like. Obviously, number one being Hendon Hooker. You and I are not necessarily extremely high on him, but we think that he is going to perform based off of what we saw at Virginia Tech. Well, he's just better than the other quarterbacks Tennessee has had recently, right? He's the best quarterback they've had since Josh Dobbs. I don't think he's going to be as bad as Garantano. I think he's going to be able to make this Tennessee offense efficient, something that they've not had in a really long time. Quickly looking at their numbers, 21.5 points per game, 141 rushing yards, 204 passing yards per game, and 346 total yards per game. None of those ranked higher than ninth in the SEC. I think they're going to improve on that just a little bit. 
And if they if they do find out how to make every everybody around Hinden Hooker work, I could see them being higher on this list. But I think eight or nine is really comfortable for Tennessee right now. They just don't return any skill position player that was a starter last year. That's brutal. At the same time, though, Tennessee recruits, I would argue, better than the other teams that are underneath them on this list. That's true, but the question is, are those guys still on the roster? (laughs) That is true. (laughs) That is the case. They have had since October of last year, I think October 2nd of last year, so October 2nd, 2020, they have had the most players in college football transfer out of their program at 25. That is a third of their active roster. For the kids at home, that's not good. (laughs) <laughs> that is not good whenever you're a third of your roster. Whenever Thanos snaps and half your roster is gone in the transfer portal, that is not good. That's not good. But I trust Mr. Stark. I, I don't feel so good. Mr. Stark. <laughs> I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't feel like rolling for, with the volunteers much longer. But for real, I think they're going to be able to figure it out enough to the point where they're like middle of the pack right underneath it in the SEC. That's not too much to ask for. Well, something else that we have to consider here, Jeremy Pruitt's gone now, which is probably a benefit, but. They bring in Josh Heupel, mm-hmm. who, and we talk about coaches and new coaches in the SEC or new head coaches, that is, and what side of the football that they benefit more. I think Josh Heupel definitely benefits the offensive side of the ball at Tennessee, maybe a little bit more than Jeremy Pruitt did, because obviously Jeremy Pruitt, ex-defensive coordinator, what credentials did he have on the offensive side of the ball? Now you look at Josh Heupel, and the guy scores a lot of points. He does, and we saw him put together some really solid quarterbacks at UCF, obviously Mackenzie Milton and Dillian Gabriel, who is currently there with Malzahn. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to be special, but I think they should be a little bit better than they were last season. Now, defensively, they'll probably be worse. They might be. There's a good chance only five starters returning and absolutely no linebackers returning. If Toto had had come back, then I'd maybe feel a little bit better about this group, but one man can't stop 11 so I, I i've i've got my concerns defensively but offensively they should be they still should be better than last season that's what i'm banking on is i'm not banking on them to be incredible i just think slight improvement let's take a quick break here on on the line we'll wrap up our number one when we come back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one here. Before we do, let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The qualifiers continue in the new season of American Ninja Warrior from 7 to 9 on NBC. Some movie selections for tonight, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds star in The Proposal on Freeform at 5. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on FX Movies at 6.45. A pair of action films are on Sci-Fi starting at 4.30 with White House Down. And then at 7.30, it's The Magnificent Seven. In live sports, the lone NBA playoff game is in the Western Conference Finals between the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Suns look to put away the Clippers in Game 5 at 8 on ESPN. The Stanley Cup Finals begin with Game 1 between the Montreal Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning at 7 on NBCSN. Game 1 of the College World Series is at 6 on ESPN2. It's an all-SEC final with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt going at it for the national championship. Copa America Soccer continues with a Group A match between Argentina and Bolivia at 7 on FS1. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Lance, you just got a news update. Breaking news, LSU offensive tackle Dare Rosenthal has entered the transfer portal. According to at Tiger Details on Twitter, LSU Tigers on detail, TigerDetails.com, 
He was a projected starter this season, heading into his junior season. Six foot seven, two hundred ninety pound offensive tackle. Sorry, three hundred twenty seven left tackle um, from Faraday, Louisiana. Again, in his junior season, could definitely be somebody that Auburn takes a look at. That's definitely a position I of dare need. Auburn to go after him. Please, <laughs> it was like we're just taking LSU's offense at this point. Did you catch my pun? His name's Dare. I, I, I oh, ah, ah, that's Sorry. good. That's no, it's don't, not good. don't apologize. But, it's, but that, but we, we, we talked about one of the strong suits of this LSU offense, obviously being returning all five offensive line starters, and there goes one. And you again, we were talking about this last week. I was saying I'm concerned as to what's going on behind the scenes if they felt the need to fire their offensive line coach. Bringing back all five starters, all these guys are veterans. What's going on behind the scenes? Why would they feel the need to fire him? Is are, are the players upset? And we see one entering entering the transfer portal literally days after we were speculating about that. I just ask people to think when you're making these projections this year, like nine do and you three. You really trust what's going on at LSU right now? Exactly. All the off the field stuff. Who their head coach is. The fact that they just fired their offensive line coach. They have brand new coordinators. Do you really trust what's going on at Baton Rouge right now that they have this bounce back season? That's what I that's what I'm asking folks because it just seems like a common common prediction that LSU is going to be a nine win team again and I'm like <laughs> I don't know man you talk about blue chip ratio you talk about how talented these guys are but this coaching staff and this culture I feel like is eventually going to hold this LSU program back I don't see nine wins on the schedule you and I have talked about that at length this offseason they've got a good kicker though and there's <laughs> there's hey let's Kate see York Kate York can, baby. Kate York can split the uprights man all American but this is another reason to believe that there are things going on behind the scenes scenes that we don't know about about and it's not looking pretty right now yeah even on a surface level who knows what it looks like underneath you know you and I were just talking about earlier in the show about Auburn not going after offensive linemen and I know you just said this but you know maybe this is a player that Auburn would would choose to go after I'm not sure do we have any knowledge about this player's you know, he is a returning starter. Does PFF have anything on him? I'm not sure. I'd have to take a moment to look that up. But apparently Dare, Dare's listening to the show, and he's like, well, Auburn ain't got an offensive tackle. Might as well enter the transfer portal and see if I can <laughs> see if I can land myself there. Thank you, Dare, for listening. Appreciate that. Uh, if you could also get Kayshawn Boutte to transfer to Auburn as well, that'd, <laughs> that be, be, that'd be really appreciated. <laughs> hey, maybe, uh, maybe Dare Rosenthal said, hey, man, I want to go block for TJ Finley. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up at 3 o'clock. More Auburn football stuff going on. Also, Auburn basketball. JT Thor's got some workouts lined up. What's going on in the NBA scene for the Tigers? We'll be back in just a few moments. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Our number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you as we reset the show here at 3 p.m. 
Call in at 334-321-1390. Text us. We've got a new on-the-line text line, 334-564-4184. Whatever's on your mind, that's how you can get in contact with us, 334-564-4184. Lance, resetting the show here. We ended hour number one with some breaking news out there. Go back to it. Dare Rosenthal, LSU offensive tackle, entering the transfer portal. Starting offensive tackle. Starting offensive tackle. He was a junior uh, heading heading into this 2021 season, started six games for LSU last season, uh, not not all ten due to COVID restrictions, and I believe the article that I was reading on LSU Rivals said that there were also some off the field issues going on as well. Uh, I don't know how big of a deal that is. He started seven games then in 2019 and was the primary backup in those other three games to. Sadiq Charles. Sadiq Charles, current Washington football team left tackle. So this could definitely be somebody that Auburn goes and and at least takes a look at. I don't have his PFF grades right in front of me, but I think this is somebody that Auburn could could definitely need. It's a it's a position of need. It's number one. Starting left tackle in the SEC. In the SEC. And now is that same is that same credentials applied to Alec Jackson? Like somebody, Alec Jan- say Alec Jackson were to enter the transfer portal and somebody else, well, he's a starting well, left tackle in the SEC. It's like, I think this is a little bit more bona fide, maybe, based off of LSU's offensive line in terms of pass protection. Exactly. It has been one of the better pass protecting offensive lines in the SEC over the last couple of years now. Run blocking, that's a whole nother issue because LSU cannot run block. They cannot run the football last year. I mean, they sat at 12th in the SEC, 109th nationally in running the football. I mean, if you follow the ESPN 106.7 Twitter account, which I encourage you to do so, at ESPN 106.7, we put up our, our grades for the LSU Tigers today. We gave their running backs a C. and We gave their offensive line a B. The O-line gets a B because of run blocking being rather average or below average compared to SEC standards. You give their running backs a C because they really didn't show us a whole lot there. Their leading rusher last year at 4.3 yards per carry. That's no good. So you look at those standards like they weren't a very good run blocking offensive line, but they could pass block. And that's exactly what I was about to say is let me tell you what Dare Rosenthal has over Alec Jackson, the ability to pass block, and he's got experience doing it considering LSU throws the ball so many times a game. I'm not happy with Auburn's current offensive line situation. I don't think a lot of people are. And if you could go out and get a guy with this much experience, uh, that this much talent at the size he's at, 6'7", 327, go get him. Let's bang around here with some other Auburn news going on. PFF released their All-American team, first-team offense, Tank Bigsby. And that is to be expected after the articles they've been putting out about how excited they are with Tank Bigsby. And then we go back to the offensive line, and the question being is, can they open up enough running lanes for him to actually have a first-team All-American type season? Or is it just there's nobody else in the field right now that that is known in college football that we can kind of pencil in as a surefire first-team All-American? And PFF's just kind of going with Tank because it's like, yeah, there's not really anybody else. Like, might as well go with him. But I trust this new scheme. I don't know. some other good running backs out there that that's what i was about to say is reese hall i trust this new scheme and there are so many other guys that are there even though last year i feel like was was not necessarily loaded but we've lost some really talented running backs over the past two seasons i think this season uh, it's it's shorthanded but there are still some really talented players out there i'm surprised that they have bigsby as first team all-american i think this is just a testament of high praise to Tank Bigsby that they have him first team when there are some other names out there like Brees Hall that have done a little bit more than he has during their college career. Because if it were me ranking these guys, I wouldn't have Bigsby as first team. It's not surprising that PFF did it 
because they've had him so high for so long now. But if it were me ranking them, or if it was another outlet, I'd be surprised if they had Bigsby first team. I trust this new scheme to be able to get him going. Something that you and I have talked a little bit about is is how how much injuries play a factor in this year's season because he he had some of those problems last year I don't know if that's going to be an issue considering how much of a a workload he's going to have to take on in 2021 but it's it's deserved in a way and it's and it's and it's very humbling uh as an Auburn fan to see finally another first team All-American running back because I don't think we've had one of those in a really long time what PFF sees in Tank Bigsby as opposed to maybe other outlets, and I'll compare that to, to Athlons and then as we, as we get other you know preseason magazines throughout this offseason period, I, I know I'm, I'm, I, I think I'll be able to get my Phil Still at least tomorrow is when I'm trying to go and get my Phil Still magazine. But like there, there are other preseason magazines out there that do not have Tank Bigsby first team All-American like nationally. Like that, that is not – they may not even have him on any of their All-American teams. Like over across all three teams, they may not have him on there. And what PFF sees that other teams do not see or what other outlets do not see, they're evaluating him off of, of metrics that show he creates his own space and show that he adds more than just what his offensive line creates for him. And what Tank Bigsby consistently did better – than 99% of college football running backs, or maybe 99.5% of college football running backs last year, was that he broke tackles. And PFF absolutely adores that. Does Tank Biggs, you're surprised as him, at him being a first-team All-American. I'm not really surprised at him being on PFF's exactly. first team based off of their metrics. But if this were on another outlet, I'd yes. be shocked just because he doesn't have the body of work that other running backs do. For instance, Athlon Sports preseason all-america teams that they have uh, across all three of their teams these are their running backs first team Brees hall Bijan robinson out of texas Brees hall's out of iowa state and then jerry and ely listed as an all-purpose player he's running back out of old miss you then flip the script to second team they've got muhammad ibrahim of minnesota and sincere mccormick of utsa and then their all-purpose is deuce vaughn at kansas state and then you do third team isaiah spiller out of a&m kyron williams out of notre dame you got all of those running backs and some that are kind of just like off the wall like the utsa one that has sincere mccormick now muhammad ibrahim's pretty good at minnesota but still i even think that one's a little bit like of a stretch and those guys were second teamers right Mm -hmm. it's like some of those guys i'm like ah that's a little bit out there but like nonetheless there's a vastly different perception of tank bigsby maybe at the moment in the preseason in the in the preseason scope of things because of his body of work which is not yet complete they'll see the stats from last year and be like and if they didn't watch Auburn a whole lot then they don't really know how good Tank Bigsby is but if you watch Tank Bigsby last year and this is and sometimes PFF can be a little bit out there I don't know if all an all metric approach to the game of football and all analytical approach to the game of football is necessarily the right way to go but I definitely think it is a data point to consider it's not the only data point to consider but it is a data point that you should consider and what PFF I think is really getting right here with Tank Bigsby is that he does not rely necessarily on his offensive line or his teammates to make him better he actually makes the team better because of his ability to create his own space through breaking tackles. That is what is pointing towards Tank Bigsby being a special running back in college football because of what he can do individually. You get him a good run-blocking offensive line. You get him a competent passing game to supplement him. He ends up being one of the best running backs in college football from a statistical standpoint. You wouldn't see him get hurt. It would be a match made in heaven 
if they could get him that support on the offensive side of the ball question is if Auburn can do that or not and I think you see Auburn get a little bit better in those categories I just don't know how much better they get Bixby's a 1,000 yard rusher this year if he stays healthy and I'll tell you what if this if it's this easy to get on a PFF All-American team put me on third team I've got four years of eligibility left man I mean this it seems Lance, easy can dude. you create your own space can you break tackles I'm gonna be honest I'm probably one of the slowest people in the entire country so no can you break tackles can I break tackles probably not probably not probably not let me ask you this question I know you just said Bigsby's a thousand yard rusher uh in your mind do you think at the end of the year we see him on any AP All-American team for second or third nationally yes there's a real possibility SEC for sure I think he's one of the best running backs in our league and I think he gets on to either first or second team how many running backs do they take for SEC All-American teams do they take one or two that's a good question I'm not sure exactly per each team probably two well if that's the case I think he ends up as a first teamer in the SEC at the end of this year now will he get to third team if he's all SEC first team he's probably at least third team nationally right right so I think so I'll say yes okay yeah I'll say yes I think so I want to make a brief comment you and I have been looking over Athlon Sports and their magazine that they put out just a couple of weeks ago. We've been relying on it to look at some of our statistics and their unit rankings and their All-American teams and stuff like that. But you go and look at their unit rankings in the SEC, and they have Florida as the fifth best running back room in the SEC, and they have Auburn at six. And my question to you, Noah, is very, very simple. How? Yeah, I, with, a, with a player like Tank Bigsby in your backfield. Better than any Florida running back on the roster. And then their number twos and their number threes are marginally better than Auburn's running backs. But I, I don't think the, the numbers suggest that they're that much better than Auburn's backups. Right. I don't, I don't think that Malik D- Davis or Naquan Wright is better than Sean Shivers. So much better than Sean Shivers. Jordan Williams, Jarquez Hunter. Not better than any of, any of those guys. And their starters, sure as he's not better than tank bigsby this auburn backfield should be second or third unit ranking wise in the sec it is not sixth and a big part of that has to do with tank bigsby carrying it i do think auburn's lacking a bit after tank bigsby but they've tried to at least put bodies in that backfield and maybe someone young like jarquez hunter as a spell back maybe they can maybe they can do something without the the focus and the pressure being on them but we'll just have to wait and see Jacob, you had some stuff on JT Thor that we were talking about, and JT Thor earning some workouts with some late lottery teams. Yeah, Jonathan Wasserman, he reported that he will have three consecutive workouts with the Indiana, Indiana, gosh, Indiana Pacers, <laughs> New Orleans Hornets, or Charlotte Hornets, and the New Orleans Pelicans. So Man, you were all over the that, place. Yeah. There. Well, you hey, went look, back to 2010 I with did, the New Orleans exactly. Hornets. Exactly. And then I saw Pelicans. Where's the Charlotte Bobcats? Right. Which but, I actually think that that is much better than the Charlotte Hornets. I know that's probably a hot take, but I actually prefer those days. When it was, I prefer the days when it was New Orleans Hornets and the Charlotte Bobcats. Don't make me get uh, New Orleans Pelicans. And I like the New Orleans Charlotte Hornets. Hornets. I did not like the Charlotte Bobcats. Don't make me, okay. do, my, me do my old man impression, Noah, for saying back <laughs> in my day. I really appreciate those Charlotte Bobcats, you know. But JT Thor is looking more and more like a mid-first round pick. Right, right. Uh, reread those teams again so it was the indiana pacers the charlotte hornets and the new orleans pelicans that's excellent I which mean, of those teams do you think jt thor maybe fits the most that's a good question and maybe 
Maybe the Pelicans. I don't know. Because I think it's one of those. You know that MJ loves him some front court players in the NBA draft. Though. And now that I think about it, also the Pelicans need shooters probably, and Thor isn't a shooter, so to say. They already have but, Lonzo Ball and Zion who are. But good he at fits the, the bill of a future NBA stretch four, though. That's what he is. Yeah, let me yeah. tell you what the Pelicans are doing. They're scrolling down the list. They're looking at all the pro- these prospects, and they see Thor, and they go, "Brandon Ingram! Oh my goodness, let's get him! We got to get Brandon Ingram." They do already have that though with Brandon Ingram. Good point. So maybe that's not as much of a need. Is Brandon Ingram on the Pelicans? I thought he got traded he to the is. Lakers. Oh, he's okay. He's from the Lakers. Yes. He's from the to Lakers. The, yes. To the Lakers. Okay, I'm getting everything confused with my Bobcats and my Hornets and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, That's uh, pretty good. You've thrown me the off. U- the Utah Hornets from New Orleans. I'm not certain that he... You see, this is what I was talking about, though, with him potentially being like Chumo Kiki and just appearing randomly out of nowhere late in the lottery. <laughs> and I'm not sure that, like... I, I'm not sure if that's the best fit for him because none of those organizations just, like... I'm like, yeah, those organizations are well-run. I mean, none of those organizations, other than the Pacers, I think the Pacers are a relatively well-run organization, but right now they're going through a bit of a lean period. If you asked me that 10 years ago, I'd probably say, yeah, that's a really well-run organization. None of those teams, I'm like, yeah, that's a good spot for JT Thor to go to. I, I think you should still much rather see him get drafted in the early 20s. I'd like to see him go to a team like Charlotte because they're getting all the attention on social media right now simply because Ball is there. True. And if JT Thor does anything impressive, everyone's going to see it. And I think that, you know, we, we've seen him with a pretty good passer, Sharif Cooper. Imagine a Lamelo Ball passing to JT Thor. Well, like I said, MJ loves to draft front court players. They could be they could have two guards on the roster and MJ's like, "No, we need a forward. Need a forward." And, and when I'm looking at each depth chart from these teams, you look at the Hornets, they have Miles Bridges. He's he's a solid player. Yeah. And then for the Pacers, it's Doug McDermott. And think about a Sabonis and JT Thor front court. I think that'd be pretty powerful. And Kind of the same thing with the Pelicans. I, like the I could, I would become a Pacers fan if. See, that's not true. I mean, I'm still a Cavs fan. Yes, through, through I, Cleveland sports man. But I still. would, I would be pulling for JT Thor. But you look at the Pelicans and Stephen Adams is your center, Zion's your power forward, and Ingram's your small forward. So you would, it, it, I don't know how that would work, unless yeah, he's in a backup role. Seem like a, the Pelicans don't seem like a fit, especially with Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram, as you mentioned. That's a little bit more clogged in the front court because. What can Zion play other than power forward? Point guard. Center. Yeah. An undersized center. <laughs> that would yeah. that maybe wouldn't be a, a super huge advantage from a height perspective on the defensive end, but I think he could abuse some centers with his athleticism if he were to attack from the perimeter off the bounce. I think he would be a handful for some of the centers in the NBA from an offensive standpoint, but you're right. He's he's a power forward. Now put him at point. He's an undersized power forward. We'll see what guy. happens. Put, put the man at point guard. Let's we'll see what happens. <laughs> Well, that's what Duke was doing, you know. Literally, but still, true. that's some cool news though for for JT Thor to to get at least. This is huge clout for Auburn, though. As well, well, that you could have. You mentioned Chuma Okiki, and I think it's a little different because Okiki dropped. If he had played in the Final Four, I think if he had because that the North Carolina game was the best game he played at Auburn, probably. His draft stock fluctuated a lot through that March because it rose dramatically at the end of the season because he 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 really learned how to assert himself at the end of that season he learned how to to 
to actually use his body and say hey like I'm the best player out here I need to score he's he started to be a little bit more selfish which I do think is something that he needed yeah I, I think there's a there's an ebb and flow in basketball some guys need to be selfish because they are or need to be more selfish because they can score the basketball yes because you need them to score right and so Tumo Kiki's draft spot climbed drastically at the end of that season but then it kind of immediately just like that in the snap of a finger also dropped back I still was shocked to see him get drafted so highly especially with the way things were trending towards the end of that year. Well, see, I think that everyone kind of assumed into the first round, maybe drop out of the first round. Yeah. And it was I think if he didn't get injured, I think you're looking at a top 12 pick at least. Really? I think so with Chumo Kiki see, because I never really got that vibe with Chumo On the highest uh, he would have been on the biggest stage in college basketball playing the best of his career. Let me tell you why so. Okiki's draft stock rose at the end of the season is because he realized little crybaby Grant Williams couldn't guard anybody and that Whoa. Okiki can shoot from anywhere. You saw that in that that game, the final game of the regular season. You saw that in the SEC championship game. Chuma's just like, I don't care if you're on me. I'm going to shoot this ball and it's going in. And it was nasty. I, I, if, he, if he had played in that final four game, he played in the national championship, would have been MVP of the tournament and would have just dominated. It uh, would. I want to, ah, oh, man, I wish we could go back and, and have a just an uninjured Chumo Kiki. Okay, now you're going to make it sad. To ball out. <laughs> I have a quick uh, funny story, though, about that Tennessee game. When Chumo Kiki, he had a steal. I think it was in the second half. Well, I know multiple stories from your days with Tennessee, and I'm, I'm glad you're not telling another story. I know. No, I'll Thank hold you, off on that not, one. That's not safe for radio. But this, <laughs> this was it, – it was in the second half, maybe like 10 minutes left, maybe a little bit less. But Okiki got a steal, took it all away, slammed it. And as soon as it happened, Jacob Varner, who I was standing next to, he's a uh, he's a good all basketball follow on Twitter. He he looked he was like that's a first round pick <laughs> by Chuba yeah. because and that was before he was really going off. And like I said, I think the way he was playing, he was trending for a top twelve pick. You're right. the The trajectory is a little bit different. Chuma Kiki was still regarded as a draft pick during the regular season. J T. Thor was not until he decided to stay in and once he left his name in the actual draft that's what like immediately that week you started hearing him trending up draft boards i think twitter honestly is a reason for him to rise is because everyone sees how athletic he is sees how young he is and look at the potential his ceiling is so high that that's the big thing it's worth taking a chance on him you know there's another player for auburn basketball right now in the draft who i think may be trending up a little bit as well and we'll talk about him on the other side of this break. Sharif Cooper, he, he did some important things with some of his workouts at the NBA Draft Combine. We'll be back in just a moment. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We got a text line for you as well. If you want to text into the show, 334 564 Four one eight four. Once again, three three four five six four four one eight four. That's how you text into the show. Talking about Sharif Cooper a bit. Jonathan Givney, the NBA Draft Express Twitter follow that you should follow now that Auburn basketball is making some serious headway in the NBA draft over the last couple of years. Was tweeting out about how well Sharif Cooper shot the basketball in his individual workout at the NBA Draft Combine in front of executives 
supposedly got a standing ovation from executives after he showcased all of his abilities he had a big weekend Sharif Cooper is there a lot to gain here or do you think we stay or or do you think he stays where he's at I think he stays where he's at because I don't believe it <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe the man <laughs> I, shot well I saw his shot the ball well and I almost put that in air quotes in a tweet but I was like ah maybe actually all yeah. right I'll believe it when I see it and I've been looking for videos on it and I've not been able to find any so <laughs> it's all him just doing dribble moves yeah. against air yeah <laughs> Which man, some of those some of those dribble moves, fantastic. So let's let's assume that Sharif Cooper did actually shoot well. Who was a team that you all think that could that could need a a, a guard like Sharif Cooper in the draft? Celtics, maybe. And I think they, that they're in his they range. Still have Kimba though. No, they don't. What Do, about? No, they not. No, Am I crazy? No, they the Kimba was traded. Yeah. I, for, I forget oh, what he Thunder. was traded to. Oh, he's the, to the Thunder. Yeah, he was right. traded to the My Thunder. Bad, guys. My bad. So that's why I think that he would kind of fit the Celtics because he's similar to Kimba. And I think that Kimba's shooting isn't amazing, but he's a lot better of a shooter than Sharif is, obviously. So right. I, I think that they're similar play styles, though. Do we not think the Knicks could be could be sure. a team? Yeah, and Knicks I, fans want them. I would, I would, if I were a Knicks fan, I probably want them to stop drafting forwards in, in the first round and actually get a guard that can that can pass the ball well, and shoot it a little bit. Right. Well, considering that, uh, what's his face? Rose. Well, I'm forgetting. Well, D Rose um, did not lead them in in assists. Julius Randle. Uh, Julius Randle. Right. Yeah. When your power forward has the most assists on your team and it's six, that's probably not good. My my thought process is D Rose is doing his job, but he's he's on the higher end. He's almost done. So you've got to get someone in there. You of course, never know when is when he's going to get hurt. Right, and they have a, ma- a major injury. They have so. a manual quickly, but uh, I don't know if he's he he's more of a combo guard to me. I don't he's think more he's of a, a shooting guard. You said that, and I was like, oh, I think he's more of a shooting guard. Yeah, that's that's how I view him as well. But he is listed as the second string point guard on the Knicks. Sharif Cooper makes the Knicks better. I'd be all for that. Bring it on. I think that's a good. I think that would be a good selection. An issue that I have is. The, the Sharif Cooper is being projected all over the place to all these different teams. And so uh, my concern is, is are any of these teams actually going to want him come the end of the first round? And I, I know he's got a lot of really good things going for him and somebody's going to pick him up for sure. But I don't like if I were him, I wouldn't like knowing that there are so many different teams that I'm being mocked to. But I don't feel confident in one specific direction. Well, you feel the, me? a very interesting trend that's happening is. The talk of him going to the Cavs and going Please. and taming up with Isaac Okoro, something Please. that Auburn fans really wanted to see, but not not necessarily at this level. That I'm sure Auburn fans will be fine with it. But I, I think Sexton's coming up on his contract year. And the issue with the issue with this for me is Darius Garland is a solid point guard and a solid option for the Cavaliers. And I don't see why you take Sharif Cooper unless you want him to kind of Sit back for a year and see, but I don't. I don't see a point in that. That I think you also Sharif, have Colin Sexton, who is well. That my point is can also play point guard. He's a combo guard in the right. NBA. He was a point guard in the college level, but still. And he the also, point is, is Sexton. He's coming up on his contract here, and I think there's a there's a way they would work it out because I don't think the Cavaliers necessarily like him as much as they see, could. I'm over here thinking you pay him. Yeah. He's their guy. And I don't I don't really think that He's the future. He kinda is. But I think Garland is just special. Bring them both back. Well, Cooper. Of course, Sexton. That's it's amazing. But I think that Sexton, just them projecting him as a point guard and he's just not playing like a point guard has hurt his value. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think they'll try to get rid of him. 
get something for him that's really good and then have Cooper and Garland running the show. As a Cavs fan, you're making me sad right now. Look, I'm not this I is want not as a, much talent that I can hoard as possible right, right now. I think it's so, it's more of a contract situation. No, well, I understand that. Well, the issue is is Cooper's got a career to salvage and he's not even been drafted yet. So if going to the Cavs I feel like would be an issue for him given all the other players that they have on their roster that could could play better than him. I mean, if you if you if you sign him, he's not going to play better than Garland consistently. He can't shoot the ball. He's not going to play better than Sexton consistently. He can't still can't shoot the ball. It's like I don't care that he's still he's going to be listed at like six three six four. He's not better than my other two guards. So there's been some reports that that was a typo. You know that the that he really wasn't listed at six four. Is like it, six and then and like, it's weird. Then he went on Twitter and said that it, he said that's cap, which, yeah, which means, means who else it's would? a lie. So. I don't know. What I'm else, gonna guess he's six two. What else would the, what <laughs> else would the man say? You're going, you're going down the middle. I'm gonna guess down the middle. I'm gonna guess that he did grow, not that much, but he grew a little bit. Yeah, five, to, five eleven to. tops. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that also wouldn't surprise me. That's funny. Little college football news today: Alabama football recruit T.J. Dudley commits to Oregon, June 28th. Commit here out of Montgomery Catholic Preparatory School, the number 23 linebacker in this year's class number nine player in the state of alabama top 200 player according to 24 sport 24 7 sports composite he's a four-star linebacker chooses the oregon ducks over the alabama crimson tide interesting news there very interesting news and they're 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 doing the auburn strategy oregon is they're getting (laughs) they're getting players from across the, the the country to uh to come play for their school and i don't think that it's necessarily something that's that's extreme or something that people should be uh, up in arms over and, and complaining about. If I were an Alabama fan, I'd be disappointed. But at the same time, look at my recruiting class. I'm getting guys elsewhere, right? You know what's funny about this, though, is? What? We've had a back and forth yes. between Travis and Jeremy Law of RadioAlabamaSports.net. And this is another top 10 state of Alabama player that did not go to Alabama. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> it didn't go to Auburn, but just another guy who didn't go to Alabama. We'll be back 30 minutes left of the show here on On The Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. 27 minutes left in the show till the drive with Bill Cameron from 4 to 6 on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. On the line, text line number 334-564-4184. We want to hear from you. Whatever is on your mind, text us 334-564-4184. Lance, earlier we were ranking the SEC offenses for the 2021 season. Your prediction of in the order of which that they will go, we've gotten all the way up now to, what is it, eighth? Eighth, yes. So take it away, my man. At number eight, I have the Missouri Tigers. Let's take a look at their statistics real quick. 26.7 points per game, 135 rushing yards per game, 266 passing yards per game, and 402 total yards per game. Respectfully, that was ranked 7th, 10th, 6th, and 7th in the SEC. 
They bring back seven starters. They bring back their quarterback. They bring back a couple of receivers. They obviously lost Jalen Knox to the transfer portal, which is disappointing. And they bring back, what is that, four starters on the offensive line. So I, I, I have high hopes for this team to collectively, because of their schedule, make a jump in 2021. But I'm curious to see overall, statistically, how much of an improvement they make. And I think sitting somewhere around 8, 9, 7 for this Missouri offense is accurate to equate this for Auburn fans I want to know how much quarterback Connor Basilek is like Sean White or how much he's like Drew Locke in terms of his improvement as a quarterback in the SEC last year statistically 2,366 passing yards seven touchdowns six picks he had nearly a 70 percent completion percentage if seven touchdowns to six picks doesn't sound like Sean White, I don't know what does. And, an and a high completion in a high, Yeah, it's just, it's just throw the ball just a little bit. Now, Sean White wasn't near 70%, but he was definitely about that completion percentage in a more of a short to medium passing game. I think he led the SEC in 2016, right, in completion percentage? That I don't I'm remember. Not wrong. I, believe, I believe he did. He was definitely towards the top of the league. I don't know if he led the SEC that year but still my question is is Connor Bazelette going to be able to push the ball downfield much like some of his predecessors at Missouri namely referring to Drew Locke how much can he become the guy in the Missouri offense this year in year two he's now just a sophomore you see a big jump from a player's first year playing to their second year playing oftentimes I say that and Bazelette was still a top half quarterback in the SEC last year I believe this year I still think that he's in that category but how much of a step does he take forward with an offense that brings back a decent amount of its production but once again you go back to what that production was like last year and it was just average how much better does it get this year for him in a league that I believe is going to be a little bit more competitive on the defensive side of the ball those are all questions. Missouri's an enigma for me this year. I think they're going to be good. The question is, how good? Do they get over the hump? Do they get to nine wins where we see a real path to that with how easy their schedule looks? Or do they continue to trip up to your average teams in the league? Like, do they lose to Kentucky in week two on the road? Do they lose to Boston College on the road? Do they find a way to maybe upset Texas A&M? All of these things are question marks for Missouri. I definitely think if the team improves, they have a path to nine, maybe even 10 wins if they only lose to Georgia and Florida or Georgia and A&M. There's a real path to that with how easy this schedule is because I think they're just as good as pretty much everybody on their schedule with the exception of Georgia and Florida. I think that's where you're looking at right now. You're at, you asked the question is how much better is their offense going to be? My answer slightly just a little bit which probably parks them at about eight and four with some losses where they shouldn't have lost but then on the flip side like I can see them losing to Boston College and then turning around and beating A&M at home I I think a lot of this has to do with a flip of the coin with this Missouri team do they win their 50-50 games and there's a lot of 50-50 games on their schedule but last year they were they were sneaky Last year, once again, they were ranked at one point when they were going into that Georgia game. I think they were ranked 24th or 25th. Mm-hmm. Got absolutely smashed 49-14 to and then lost to Mississippi State the next week and finished 5-5. Five and five. So what was a really optimistic 5-3 and three football team at the end of the year finished 5-5 five and five with, a, with a bad loss at the end of the year. We'll, we'll just have to find out what this team really is. And I don't think you really know that until you get to, what is that, like week 8? when they're playing or week seven when they play texas a&m in october on october 16th i don't think you really know what this team is until they play one of the better teams on their schedule and that that would be a&m at that point it takes them a little while to get there we just won't know enough so 
Moving along, let's get inside the top seven. At number seven, I have Texas A&M real quick. I want to appreciate the person that texted our hotline and sent me a link to a Twitter video of Sharif Cooper uh, practicing and going through shooting drills. Appreciate that. I'll be taking a look at that during the break. At number seven, I have the Aggies. Obviously, the number one concern that we have for them moving into 2021 is their quarterback situation. Is Haynes King going to be the guy? And their offensive line, even though I feel like they're going to be able to keep up because they, they recruit well at that position, but they're still concerned. Obviously, if you lose four of your five guys, you're going to have some issues. Here's the point. Kenyon Green, and I saw this, and I can't remember which side I saw it from, but it was on Twitter the other day. Kenyon Green, I don't believe, allowed a sack last year. And that's their starting left tackle. So they they are great where it counts. And Kenyon Green is their one returning starter, a junior. And now that he's getting to that upperclassman status, I still expect Kenyon Green to be one of the best left tackles in the SEC. My will, my real question with the Aggies is where do they gel outside of that left tackle spot? Four other new offensive linemen, one a transfer from Tennessee, four other new offensive linemen on this offensive line, and a brand new quarterback that has thrown the ball four times in his Texas A&M career. Right, right. They've got a couple of really talented receivers that will bail out Haynes King if he does have issues, and then probably the best tight end in the SEC and Jalen Weidermeyer. I mean, this I think it's going. I think this offense is going to hum, but I don't think it's going to be explosive. I think it's going to be just enough, and King's King will eventually settle in as the season progresses, and I think that's good enough for average right there in the middle yeah, of the you SEC. Just think it's gonna it's gonna be average as long as they limit mistakes. This defense should be good enough to win A and M eight games. Should be good enough to win them seven or eight games. I'm there with you. At number six, I have the man, the myth, the legend, and his offense, Bo Nix and the Auburn Tigers at number six, focused enough to get Auburn to six best in the SEC. I guess overall, take a look at their numbers from last year. 25.1 points per game. That was ninth in the SEC. 162 rushing yards per game. That was seventh. 220 passing yards per game. That was 10th in the SEC. And then 328 total yards per game, which was ninth in the SEC. Looking at that total, 382 yards per game. That's not good. If I'm if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm really not happy with that. I need that number to be way, way past that. That is not good. I think this offense is going to make that step forward this season. Talk about this offensive line and the issues they've they've been having, especially pass blocking. I think they're going to get a little bit better this season. I think these young receivers are going to be able to step up. And then Tank Bigsby, I believe, is going to be able to carry the load. This offense will improve enough to the point where I think they're, they're in the top half of the SEC. Now, how much? It, like How much past that? I don't Sixth know. Sixth is still but pretty average in the SEC. But based off of last year's statistics, Auburn was jump. ninth in scoring offense in the league and ninth in total yards per game in the sec a three spot jump is definitely realistic i don't think that that's too dramatic especially when i think some of these other units that were top of the sec maybe take a little bit of step back or at least not top but ahead of auburn like AM, I think takes a step back statistically compared to where auburn was at last year AM versus auburn here you have AM at seven, Auburn at six. What does Auburn have that AM does not have? Uh defense and just as good a coaching. Well, I meant on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, on the offensive side of the ball. Um they, that's what we're talking about here. They have a uh first team all American pro football focused running back. <laughs> um they <laughs> have they have just as talented receivers. 
and I know off, Auburn's offensive line is probably worse, but I think Auburn would be able to get by based on the fact that they do have a better running back than A&M, even though they have Spiller. See, I go in a completely different direction than some of those things that you said, which I agree with you. Running back there, I think that, you know, and Isaiah Spiller's up there on a lot of All-American lists too, though. So they A&M in their own right has a pretty good running game. Last year they were second in the league in that category. What Auburn has that A&M does not have which maybe starts Auburn ahead of A&M at the start of this year from an offensive standpoint is experience. A lot of upperclassmen on the offensive side of the ball. Now, wide receiver, not experience. But everywhere else, they're experienced. You got an experienced running back. He played almost every game last year. You got a quarterback that's got two full years of starts under his belt. That's as experienced as it comes in this year's SEC. And then you got five seniors on the offensive line. That's way more experience than A&M at this point. I've got Florida at number five, and I really had a hard time debating whether or not I should put Auburn ahead of them because Florida does lose so much on the offensive side of the football. But I've got Florida at five. They lose their top three receivers from a passing offense that was first in the country last season, at least statistically, 378 yards passing per game. They break in a new quarterback in Emory Jones. Is he going to be not necessarily as good as Trask last season, but will he be able to keep it going? I don't know. We've talked about their running back room. I think it's trash. I don't think that this unit this is anything special whatsoever. I discount it severely. It's not fifth best in the SEC. Athlon, what are you smoking? Florida is going to be able to score points. I believe that I believe that Dan Mullen is going to be able to get Emory Jones to be at least be consistent. We saw what he did with Felipe Franks. I think you and I would agree that Jones is probably a better quarterback than Felipe, at least based off what we've seen. But I don't think this offense is going to be anything truly special. So fifth, sixth, seventh, I think that's good for the Florida Gators. Well, we're used to watching a Florida team that was 13th nationally last year in scoring, had a quarterback that threw for over 4,200 yards, 43 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and a decent portion of those interceptions came in the Cotton Bowl, right? He had like five picks before the Cotton Bowl, and then he had three in that bowl game against Oklahoma. So you look at this Florida team, they have to take a step back, right? Like, but how much is, is the real question and how much determines whether or not they're actually a legit contender in the SEC East, I believe, because this defense ain't getting better. They got four players coming back on that side of the ball and they weren't good last year. Last year, that defense was 74th nationally, giving up 31 points a game. Good show. Good show. So, Florida, good job. So I don't think that the defense gets loads better. Maybe it gets a little bit better, but I don't think it gets dramatically better at the offense only returning five starters as well just by default with all the talent that they lost off of last year's team I mean they they lose Kadarius Toney they lose Kyle Pitts they lose Trayvon Grimes that's their top three receivers of course they bring that they bring back their running back room but their leading rusher last year averaged 4.7 yards per carry that's not that good in this year's day and age of college football where almost any running back can average more than five yards a carry Emory Jones how good of a passer is he is he and up to this point in his career I don't believe we have a large enough sample size to know that going into this season but one thing Dan Mullen is good at it is getting the most out of his quarterback so I still imagine I'm with you this is top five this top five room I mean talk about 4.7 yards per carry heck I've talked about it earlier I've still got four years of eligibility left I could average 4.7 yards per carry give me the ball I'll run somebody over because I don't know if you can (laughs) I know that's I really really can't this is all just a joke but But, uh, so let's get to four here let's save our top three for tomorrow because we are kind of running out of time on today's show I think that'll make a good segment tomorrow we'll save the top three offenses in the SEC for tomorrow but tell me who you got it for at number four I have LSU simply because LSU is going to be able to throw the ball around and score some points but outside of that I don't really see them doing 
anything, especially in the run game. I really don't like their running back room. And they just lost another offensive lineman, uh, obviously, in Dare Rosenthal. But they're still going to be able to throw the ball around the yard. They're going to have two quarterbacks that could potentially do it, and either Brennan or Max Johnson, Kayshawn Butte, Butte, Dre Jenkins, uh, Coy Moore are going to be some of the guys to look out for. I think Trey Palmer is also, also going to be somebody that's in, more involved in this offense. Athlon has him listed as, as a starter. I don't know if he is going to start, but I think he is talented. They're going to be able to score, but they're not going to be able to do it in the running game. I've got them at four. I think that's a fair place to put them. If this, if if all things just just go to crap for for LSU this season, I can see them go the finishing sixth, seventh. But I think four is a decent place to put them. Just playing devil's advocate here, Jacob. Help me out here. When did Terrace Marshall? opt out or, or lance do you know when did terrace marshall opt out? it was after a loss was it after the auburn game it might have been or was I, it before? I, I vaguely remember him playing at the auburn game it was that it was the week before or week after well they beat south carolina right before they played auburn so i, I remember it was after a loss i think it was then after the they would have been game. after auburn because south Car- they beat south carolina bad so they lose to auburn by only scoring 11 points they then only scored 27 against arkansas only scored seven against a&m 17 against Alabama. Then they dropped 37 at 53 on two of the worst defenses in the SEC in Florida and Ole Miss, which I, I question the legitimacy of LSU's offensive statistics last year because they got a favorable schedule in the first four games where they played Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Missouri, and South Carolina, all putrid defenses in their own right aside from Mississippi State. And they did score 34 against Mississippi State, which is a major boost. But I do question the legitimacy of the LSU offensive statistics. I'm not saying you're wrong, and I'm not really disagreeing with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here and saying we should be skeptical of the legitimacy of LSU's offense going into this year with a left tackle that is no longer with the program and Darryl Rosenthal has announced that he's going into the transfer portal. They lose Terrace Marshall. All they have is Kayshawn Boutte and whoever their starting quarterback is going to be, whether it's Miles Brennan or Max Johnson, who both performed pretty well but still had a fair share of mistakes in their time period so my question is is max johnson and miles brennan whoever starts there and then their one receiver which is Keyshawn butte is that enough i think there are enough bad defenses on this schedule to say that they statistically at the end of the season the i'm there with you i question the legitimacy of this team i think they're not going to score against the good teams i think they're going to score against the bad teams on their schedule mcneese state central michigan at mississippi state kentucky florida ucla ole miss arkansas ulm i mean there's enough teams there to to skew the statistics and i I think sitting at the end of the season they'll have scored some points now against auburn bama and a&m i question it we got to take a quick break here. We wrap up the show. On the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's head to the phone lines now, squeezing into the end of the show, 334-321-1390. Terry catches us right before we get out of the studio. Terry, we got about three minutes left, my man. 
Go for it. Hey, guy, which one of you guys was right in the offense and picked Auburn sixth with Bo Nix? Lance had him uh, at uh, – Lance, well, was that six, you? Yeah, it was Lance. Sixth best well, offense. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy rehab, Lance. <laughs> I love so, it. I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you this. I'll, I'll say they'll be in the top ten if T.J. Finley's a quarterback. Bo Nix, they would be in the top ten in the Ivy League. To be fair, though, Terry, they were in the top ten last year statistically. Well, I mean, you know, that, that, that's a good point. But I, how much of that was Tank Bigsby, quite honestly? And they do have Tank Bigsby this year, though, still. Uh, they know? do, too. <laughs> they still have Bo Nix. And, and, again, I'm going to say, guys, if Auburn's ranked in the top three in the SEC in offense, they're going to win ten games, possibly the conference. If they're ranked in the bottom five, it's another eight-win season. So that's what I was saying is I had them teetering between fifth and sixth because I really don't trust what Florida's bringing back. Is it fair to say that Auburn's one of the fifth-best offenses in the SEC this season? Um, not with Bo Nix at quarterback, no. I don't think Auburn can win with him. I just don't. I just don't think he's that good a teammate. I know. I know somebody's going to call up and blast me, but you know that's that's the way I feel. All right. So so answer this for me, Terry. Do you think okay. where do, where would you rank Auburn with T.J. Finley, and where would you rank Auburn with Bo Nix in the SEC? With T.J. Finley, I'd rank them probably third. With Bo Nix, I'd rank them somewhere around Nebraska. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's Thank way you, outside that's the fair. SEC. See you, Terry. See you, Terry. That was Terry on Lavas, 334-321-1390. People have been listening to the show long enough. They know where Terry stands on Bo Nix at quarterback. They do. I, I, I don't think T.J. Finley is a top – what puts Auburn in the top three. At, in terms I, of I don't think so numbers. either. <laughs> Going to be honest. Me and the boys yeah. on the Grant Loy train? Come on now. <laughs> that now I think he's a better option than, than Grant Loy. My big thing about T.J. Finley is he was third string at LSU, I think, coming out of spring. I think I think we saw enough. I mean, he lost his job to Max Johnson first of all, and then Miles Brennan was the starter at the beginning of last year. And Miles Brennan just lost his job due to injury. I think those are your number, your your one A and one B, whoever they cho- choose to go with. I, I don't think that they could really make a wrong decision there. I think they're both about the same. T.J. Finley was probably third string coming out of LSU, and I I don't know if we saw we we did not see enough good things out of T.J. Finley last year to say that he should be the starter over Bo Nix. Yeah, let me tell you something. Terry will have a legitimate reason to to be excited whenever Jariner steps on campus next season. He's, I think he's <laughs> going to be really real good. Deal? I think he's legit. I'm really, really excited about him. I'm not going to make any focus on having fun jokes. I legitimately think he could be really good. I've just I've heard so many people comparing him to Phillip Rivers, like a Phillip Rivers-like gunslinger kind of undiscovered like that'd be fun because he is a three-star you know and maybe this time Auburn doesn't miss on Phillip Rivers doesn't completely ignore him like they did with Phillip Rivers Baker Mayfield without the attitude really you think so after what you've seen yes really I'm excited I'm hyped dude think about that if some of these receivers are heading into their senior season with Jaron or after Nick's is graduates like could be really really good also Going back to your comment about Baker Mayfield here, because I'm going to defend my Cleveland Brown quarterback. In college, his antics were a little annoying, okay? But in the NFL, what has he done? What has he done? Ball out. Exactly. Wear, wear a trench coat to a press conference? I mean... Ball out might be a little strong. Okay, hold on. This past year, he did well. Yes. The first two years, not good. But this was year, not good. That was Freddie Kitchen's fault two years ago, all right? That's it for another edition of On the Line. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.